The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Before I begin this morning, I just wanted to um, express a, a, a gratitude of sorts. I, um, Bill, I know you. Your thing is healing. That's the journey you're on. You. That your sort of network, your giftings and things like that. For me, uh, I find encouragement a really easy thing to do. And um, I've had the privilege over the last couple of weeks of chatting with Marcus. He, uh, he showed up to what I refer to as our house. It's technically upstairs, so Brian's house. Uh, with the family for Christmas. And we were chatting there and, and we spoke last week. And there's been a handful of other times. And, and I've got to say, Marcus, there's something special about you. There's just a, a real sort of lightness to you. I find it easy to connect with you. I feel there's this sort of interest and engagement that you show with people. And I just, I love what it is that you bring to this place. And I know it wasn't just you. Um, Beth, obviously you were involved in the service as well. But that service that you guys hosted on Christmas Eve, absolutely loved. So thank you for, for what you bring. And I look forward to continuing to connect with you as the year goes on. I am... Um, I loved hearing what people had to say uh, in, in that time of what God has been doing and saying in your life. And Ashley, your idea of, you know, you went to the hospital, you went to see your father, there was the mix-up of the names, and you ended up at this other bed. It's probably the most perfect analogy for what we're going to look at today. Um, but it reminded me, because you talked about how you were there for a purpose, and I think that the idea of purpose has shown up across time and place in different cultures, in different ways, and you can refer to it in, in many different sort of words, that idea of calling, that idea of giftings. You could look at it as your role and your responsibilities. It could be your duties. It could be any manner of things. And today, for me, the passage that we're exploring uh, very much talks about how purpose and calling connect with the idea of obedience, but also that they don't always look how we plan. Um, and before we jump into, into Jonah, I just wanted to comment that I read through First and Second Samuel this year, and um, for some of you that might not be quite the accomplishment, uh, but for me, reading Old Testament has not been a, a common practice in my life, and so I was very pleased to kind of to read that story. Everything I knew of, of David up until having read those chapters, was this idea of this incredible king. He seems to be such a pivotal figure in not only his own right, but in the lineage and, and the sort of events that led to Jesus. He's named as a figure in the um, ancestry and things like that. And so, you know, when I realized that he's this guy who defeated Goliath, he was this incredible king, etc., I thought, oh, he's going to have the most fantastic life. And what I came to realize in reading through First and Second Samuel was, yep, there were some pretty cool moments, it seems, and some real highlights, but there was a lot in his life where the calling and the promise didn't transpire the way that I had anticipated. Um, sure, there was some level of monetary wealth, or public prosperity, some reputation, but it wasn't good times all the time. And if you haven't read the story recently, I encourage you to go and read it. But there was a lot of heartache, there was a lot of grief, despair and challenge but what I was encouraged with and I think I've echoed this in times where I've hosted is that 
despite that heartache, that despair, that challenge, the calling and the purpose remained the same. They didn't detract from it, they didn't take away from it. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to be exploring the book of Jonah. I'm reading in chapter 1, verses 1 to 16. Um, And Jonah tells the story of a calling, and then as the title suggests, a fleeing, and then there seems to be a moment of realizing his mistake. And so there's a prayer that takes place. There's a, a completing of the call that he was asked to do. And then inevitably in a couple of weeks' time, you'll hear of the complaining that Jonah did. He didn't seem to be the most positive of people, didn't seem to enjoy his things. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to give a little context. Because uh, when I came to prepare for this morning, I thought, yeah, I know the story of Jonah. And when I read through the passage, yes, it read like a story. But one of the first questions I asked was, how does this fit in in the larger biblical narrative? So throughout 2023 and probably the year before, it all blends into one. We've been going through Genesis. And so we've seen the story of Noah and the story of Abraham. And there's a sort of building towards what I've known for a long time is ultimately the story of Jesus or that story of redemption. And so the first question was, how does this piece of the puzzle fit into that larger narrative? And so I did a little bit of research and... Um, there are several categories for which a book might be placed in the Old Testament. So you've got the, the Torah, or the I never know how to pronounce that other word, the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch. Yep, there you go. If you didn't hear it, you can ask Brian. I didn't hear what he said, but he corrected me. Um, but those are the first five books. You have all the historical books, which is, you know, your first, second Samuel, Chronicles, Kings, things like that. You have poetry and wisdom. I'm sure you can name one of the larger poetic books. You then have your major prophets and then your minor prophets. And Jonah is categorized in the latter. He's a minor prophet. And so that kind of had me asking a couple of questions to see what's the role of a prophet and how common was this idea of what a prophet would do. So prophets were relatively crucial in biblical times. They were God's messengers. And they would often provide warnings or they would give guidance to the people of Israel Sometimes they gave it to the Israelites in its entirety or a subsect of its kingdom. And sometimes the prophets gave messages directly to specific people, whether it was kings or rulers. And the idea was that they addressed social, moral, religious issues within that community. Um, They weren't just messages of encouragement, although that was often a, a facet of their message, that idea that, hey, if you do this, there's this really cool thing that'll occur. But there was you know, um, an element of correction, of rebuking, um, specifically for things of injustice or disobedience. And so they used symbolic actions, they used stories, they used analogies, they used explicit warnings to convey their messages, and one of the common themes was always repentance. And so the book of Jonah, as we go over it, will cover that idea of he is a prophet called to provide a warning to a group of people. So our passage begins in the town of Gath-Hefer. Bought a town in ancient Israel. It was over 1,000 kilometers from Nineveh. If you were there today in modern Iraq, you could drive there in about 14 hours. But um, back in the day, you had to walk. Maybe a chariot of some sort. But it was 10 days walking, according to Google Maps. So you see here, we have the little town there of Gath Hefer. Nineveh up in the top there, 
you've got Joppa, Jerusalem, and then Tarshish, which appears in a moment, all the way down there. And so our passage begins that the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Great start. The, um, the city of Nineveh um, served as a capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was one of the great Mesopotamian empires. If you're familiar with some of um, the historical Bible, it's you know, places like Babylon and the like. So it served as this great city. It dominated the region for a great period of ancient history, and it was the capital for approximately 50 years. Um, it was on the, the River Tigris. It held power as a major station for trading and things like that. So it was a relatively up-and-coming city. You know, you might compare it to modern-day likes of Beijing and that type of thing. So we're talking like some pretty intense stuff. If you've read the books of Paul, a lot of what that is, you can kind of imagine similar things were ongoing. It wasn't uncommon for prophets to announce judgment upon cities like this um, that weren't exactly in light of the Hebrew God. Um, you know, Ezekiel was a prophet during the Babylonian exile. He pronounced judgment on Jerusalem for its sins. And then we had other prophets and things um, deliver messages to a number of other nations. A reason I highlight that is because Nineveh wasn't the only great nation at that time, but it is at the receiving end of God's judgment and the story of Jonah. And so Jonah comes with this great calling, this great purpose. Why Jonah? And we see immediately that his response to this is to not just stay where he was, in the comfort of his home, his heritage, his safety, but to flee. And if you look a little bit back here at the map, this isn't necessarily accurate, but people believe that Tarshish, which is where he was fleeing to, was significantly far away. And it was interesting to me that he headed in the opposite direction, with the intention specifically of getting away for the Lord, from the Lord. To me, it speaks of his knowledge of he who was calling him. That he knew he couldn't stay put where he was. He understood the authority and the power and the seriousness of that who was calling him. But it also made me wonder whether this is like a common human trait. If we're thinking about what this passage might tell us about people, how often do we avoid things? And not just avoid in the sense of like dismissing or declining it, but literally move away from it. And I have a question. Do you have a Nineveh? Do you have maybe a calling or a purpose or a role or a gifting that you've been asked to partake in, to go to, but instead you find your Tarshish? There's a message that you've been asked to deliver that you've delayed, declined, or detoured from. Where is the place or the thing you run to when Nineveh is calling? But our story continues. He went down to the port of, I'm assuming that's a Joppa, Joppa, Jope. But he went there. He found a ship that was leaving for Tarshish. 
That's a fun word to say. Say it with me. Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. Here's that phrase again. But he caused a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. They threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. I don't know if you guys saw here a parallel in another story told in the New Testament where Jesus was on the yacht, on the yacht, sounds lavish, on a boat. Maybe it was a yacht, maybe it was a launch, I don't know. With his disciples, and there was an intense storm, and he was sleeping. And so I started to explore this because I thought, man, that's fascinating that Jonah is the reason for this storm. He's sound asleep. And I found out that it's not the only parallel that there is between Jesus and Jonah. Much like Jonah, Jesus was woken and asked to do something about the storm. Jesus was calm, he was cool, he was collected. And that's what we see of Jonah. If you haven't seen it yet, we see that coming up. But across the Gospels, Jesus actually himself draws a direct comparison to the work that he was conducting, the calling that he had, and the message and the role that Jonah was called to do. In Luke chapter 11, verses 29, it says that as the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign that these people, to these people that he was sent by God. And in Matthew chapter 12, it says that one day some teachers of religious law, some Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want, to show, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I'll give them, sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. So in this story, we see a foreshadowing and a comparison that goes beyond the storm and is what we'll likely pick up on in the next couple of weeks. Whoever's preaching, you don't have to do that. You don't, but that's right. But highlighting this, I think, helps us to answer another question about this story. I mentioned it earlier. Why Jonah? And I did a little digging, and Jonah's mentioned in a couple of other Old Testament passages, but only ever in reference to who he was in terms of he had a father, he was the son of this person. This is his birthplace. And so there's not a lot of context as to who he was, what his giftings were, and why he was called 
to ask Nineveh to repent. Let's have a little look at the next passage. The crew cast lots. Some passages said they drew straws. You know that game where you have like one short straw and the other is a long and whoever has the short straw has to do something. They did that to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them, say that again, he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. I think this is such an intriguing way to identify what had caused this intense storm. But more intriguing than that, I find it funny that their first instinct in this massive storm, because they didn't have the weather app to tell them the forecast, was that someone had offended a god. They thought that there was an act that was a direct result of something that angered God. But then, consequently, how did these drawing of lots or casting of lots or the short straw, depending on what translation you read, how did that actually work? Like, was that a legitimate thing? Was there some ancient spiritual magic that played out? Was it a coincidence? Was there a God incidence in this? And it's difficult to say with any sort of real authority from what I've read. But regardless of how it worked and why they opted for this manner of finding out why the event occurred, it did raise some questions for how we might use these sailors and passages as an example. What is it that they did, their immediate response that we could do? But rather than go down that rabbit hole, I'm just going to pause for a moment, and I want to focus on this phrase here. It says, The sailors were terrified when they heard this. This is our last sentence up here. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Why was he so candid and forthcoming with these total strangers that he divulged this information for why he was on that boat? If you kind of consider where our story started, where it was like, hey, I have this great call for you, this great purpose as a prophet, like all of those who have come before you and all who come after you, I want you to go and deliver a message. No, thank you. Immediately dismissed, an outright act of disobedience, here contrasted with this radical honesty. And it made me wonder, were his actions at the beginning of our story, where he heard the calling and said no and purposely fled the Lord, a true indication of who he was? Or is it this honesty that we see here, this calmness, this confidence and this authority that he is a Hebrew, that he worships the Lord, the God of heaven? He hadn't denied that part. Who was he? Was he both of these people? Was this the reason that God had chosen him in the first place? But we're still in the midst of the storm as our story continues. And it says here, Since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What shall we do to you 
to stop the storm. You'd love to be in that position, eh? What do we need to do to you to make this thing go away? But he says, throw me into the sea. He was accountable for his actions up until that point. And Jonah said, it will become calm again if you throw me into the sea. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. But instead, the sailors opted to try and row even harder to get the ship back to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. So they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. So the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him out into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. This is what I was talking about, Ashley, when you showed up at that other person's bed. You went in there, into the hospital, to see your father with a purpose of you know, being a son by his bedside, and instead you ended up at this other person's bed. And I can't help but wonder, because if you know the story of Jonah, he eventually goes to Nineveh. Sorry if that's a spoiler. But after fleeing, which he didn't have to do, we see that these sailors who didn't know that God before came to see him. Was, again, this a coincidence? Was it a lovely byproduct? Was it just a using of Jonah's disobedience to bring about good in the way that we're told? Or maybe was it the plan all along? And I don't have the answer. I'm sorry, I'll give you more questions. And I have another question for you, and I actually want some real answers. What do you think the best feeling in the world is? The best emotion to experience? You can shout out if you want. Love? Nice. Get you some brownie points. Hmm? Joy? Peace? Any others? Belief? Ah, there we go. That's my argument. See, I knew I liked you. I'm not saying that those feelings aren't great. Joy, peace, hope, those types of things are great. But relief. Relief is that comfort, that lightness that you experience when a burden is lifted or a difficult situation is resolved. It's that reduction, that elimination of pain or discomfort or symptoms that you've experienced. It's that idea of after, I don't know if you've ever hiked up a mountain and you're like regretting the decision to go on a hike, and you come to either a decline, which is kind of nice, or even a plateau, that idea of you've reached up this peak and you no longer have to exert that energy, that relief that you experience, I think is one of the most incredible experiences you can have. And I think that's what these sailors had. The moment they threw them overboard, the storm stopped immediately. Imagine the relief they had from the panic they were experiencing. In that prayer, please do not hold us responsible for his death. That relief of, oh, the storm stopped. He's just in the water. I don't know, maybe it sunk. But it got me thinking about this greater idea of what it means to have that calling and that purpose and how that plays out. I wanted to share with you a couple of different verses that might help us. 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, it says that to each one of us the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In chapter 12 it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And in Luke chapter 16 it says, If you're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And that's why I talked about that idea of calling and purpose at an early point in time. And I think I've alluded to this. You might have forgotten. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm harping on again about this. But I grew up in a church and in a place, probably also in a generation, where purpose was this huge idea that your one job was to find your one true purpose. There was one thing you would do. In the context of the church, it was for the Lord. And so there was this like sort of anxiety, this tension, this pressure that I used to feel to try and figure this thing out. It weighed on me so much that it took like a good three or four years to figure out what I was going to do at university, what degree, what career I would go into, because I was so anxious about getting it wrong. Over time, I've personally come to realize that there are many callings that we hold. And that's why I use that term, that idea of roles and responsibilities. There are many things that we are called to do. We're called to be husbands or wives sometimes. Sometimes we're called to be parents or guardians or parental figures. Sometimes we're called to be friends or siblings. We're called to be members of this church. We're called to be employees. And there are scriptures across the entire Bible that talk about what it is that we should do in those various roles. So today, I want to use the story of Jonah to ask you this question. What calling or callings, what roles, what responsibilities have you been called to that you've run away from? I like that face, gay. <laughs> where was your Nineveh and where were you heading? Were you going towards it or were you fleeing from it? And this doesn't have to be big. I know for me that I was talking with a friend the other day. He was talking about his wife. And he was saying, oh, you know, sometimes I just want these types of experiences to happen. And he goes, but I realized I want her to do that for me. But I'm not necessarily doing either that for her or even asking what it is that she wants in that. And so it might be something as small as that. Are you listening to that calling? It's not necessarily one greater calling than the other. And the final thought I wanted to leave you with, because sometimes I fall into this way too much. I heard this in a sermon, and he was talking about that idea of gifting. Because each of us here, it says that we have a gift. There is a manifestation of the Spirit for us. Sometimes we stop using that gifting. And often when we stop using that gifting, it might be because we're mad, maybe we're discouraged, maybe we're uncomfortable, maybe we don't like the people that we've been called to or use that gifting with. And the reason why we often stop operating in our giftings or we might avoid our callings is we assume that they're ours, that they're for us. But they're not. They're for the body. One of the greatest callings that we have, one of the greatest commandments we have, and I've heard Brian say this time and again, 
Great Commission is to go out and make disciples and teach them to obey God's commands. Obedience is key here. And in the story of Jonah, you will see that come to be, but it hasn't been how the story starts. And just like Jonah, you might find yourself in a storm, maybe in the belly of a big fish. Hopefully it doesn't get to that. Maybe there's some more subtle ways that God can communicate with you. But what was your Nineveh? How did you respond? And if you fleed to Tarshish, what are you going to do to make sure that you get back on the right path? Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.